six nights. Pfizer is pushing for their COVID-19 vaccine to be granted emergency use authorization for children six months to four years old. Their application to the FDA is proposing a two-shot dose. They're hoping to add a third dose in the spring if supporting data is available by then. However, their previous trial on young children failed to show an adequate immune response. The FDA Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee will meet on February 15th to make that determination. We don't know exactly who will be at that meeting as the temporary voting members change, but they're likely to be the same people who were at their last meeting. If you want to do something about it, please contact the list of people noted in the description of this podcast. President of the National Border Patrol Council, Brandon Judge, quote, Cartels control the border right now. They dictate to us what our operations are going to be. He went on to say, if we seize even 5% of what's coming across the border, we're lucky. Agents are so busy dealing with the influx of illegal aliens at ports of entry that the spaces between these ports are left severely understaffed. In fact, some 150-mile stretches of land are protected by just four agents instead of the standard 75 to 90 agents. Figures from the first three months of this fiscal year seem to indicate that cartels are exploiting this vulnerability. Fentanyl seizures at the port of entry are down by nearly a quarter, while seizures in between ports of entry are nearly three times higher. Judd warned that, quote, if we seize even 5% of what's coming across the border, we're lucky. Pfizer's fourth quarter earnings forecast $54 billion of COVID-related sales for this year. But that's not the most interesting thing found in the report. A few redline changes indicate they are expecting an unfavorable public response, specifically noting, quote, concerns about clinical data integrity and prescriber and pharmacy education. They also predict a negative response on, quote, further information regarding the quality of preclinical, clinical, or safety data, including by audit or inspection. These changes likely stem from the fact that a judge ordered Pfizer to release 55,000 pages of vaccine safety data documents each month starting in March. So goes Ohio, so goes the nation. But what if Ohio doesn't know what way it's going? All eyes are on the GOP primary this May. Incumbent Governor Mike DeWine is being challenged. There's also six people running to capture the Republican nomination for U.S. Senator, left empty by retiring Senator Rob Portman. A lot is up for grabs for the GOP, and the result of the primaries, as well as the general election in November, will indicate if Ohio is staying on board with the MAGA movement. Yet the state is going both ways when it comes to COVID vaccines and masks, so it's hard telling how it will go. Take, for example, the following. The Cleveland Clinic recently put nearly 750 employees on unpaid leave for failing to comply with their vaccine mandate. Shortly thereafter, the Akron Children's Hospital fired 66 employees for the same reason. Both healthcare systems claim the workers they dismissed represent less than 1% of their total workforce. But just because these healthcare workers are complying with the mandate doesn't mean the rest of the state is on board with the vaccine. The Ohio Department of Health announced that the state's vaccination rate sits at just 60%, and only 32% of Ohioans have received a booster shot. Moreover, less than half of eligible children are fully vaccinated. 
Now, although Ohioans are stepping away from the vaccine and pandemic hysteria, the capital city is remaining in emergency mode. The Columbus mask mandate isn't going away anytime soon. Officials say the county needs to stay at the yellow level of target COVID-19 cases for four weeks before people can go maskless. Currently, the county's rate is nearly 12 times higher than this level. Despite Columbus's mask mandate, most businesses aren't aggressively enforcing it. It also doesn't seem like those living there care much for masking either. Since the rule went into effect five months ago, the city has received only 748 complaints. That figure is quite low, considering Columbus has a population of nearly 900,000. From Hill to House It's not looking good for the big guy. Biden's approval rating has dropped to just 41%, a figure lower than Trump's during this same point in his presidency. And even now, Trump has a higher approval rating than Biden. And Trump is banned from most social media platforms and considered an insurrectionist. Representative Chip Roy has introduced the Service Restoration Act. The legislation would reinstate members of the military who were discharged for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Currently, more than 14,000 service members have filed requests for religious exemptions. However, the military is making very few exceptions. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin claims the vaccines are crucial to military readiness. They said what? During an interview with Lester Holt, Biden bristled at even the slightest criticism. I think it was back in July you said inflation was going to be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, and I understand that's your job. But Holt's question wasn't off base, considering the economic woes Americans are facing. Inflation has hit a 40-year high, soaring 7.5 percent this past year. Rent is the highest in two decades, electricity is at its most expensive in 15 years, and furniture saw its largest one-month increase since 1967. Overall, analysts say the average U.S. household is spending an extra $250 a month due to inflation. Pussies and Patriots Remember Texas's controversial abortion restrictions? Well, they went into effect last month and they sent abortions plummeting by more than 60%. The restrictions ban abortions after cardiac activity is detected, which is typically around six weeks of pregnancy. The only exceptions are rape or incest. Health officials say they will continue to release abortion figures on a monthly basis. Not only did conservative lawmakers deliver on all their pro-life promises, but they saved thousands of lives in the process. And for that, these Texas lawmakers are patriots. Sarah Palin is suing the New York Times for libel. She claims a 2017 article they published about her contained lies that damaged her reputation and caused her to lose out on professional opportunities and income. Palin has spent two days on the witness stand playing the victim, claiming she was, quote, David, and that the New York Times was Goliath. The article in question, titled America's Lethal Politics, linked Palin's political action committee to the mass shooting that injured Representative Gabby Giffords. Six other people died that day. Palin's PAC showed electoral districts of 20 Democrats with crosshairs over them. The article said there was a clear link between this and the shooting. Palin never asked for correction, retraction, or apology, claiming she didn't need to do so because, quote, they knew they printed an untruth. 
However, two days after running the article, the Times issued a retraction on their own, saying they, quote, incorrectly stated that a link existed between political rhetoric and the 2011 shooting, going as far to say that, quote, they incorrectly described the map. Now, keep in mind, Representative Giffords was shot in 2011, and the article was published six years later in 2017, so there was no immediate pointing of the finger to Palin. Also, she didn't ask them to do anything. She just went straight to trying to get some money from them. Besides, isn't she supposed to be all about free speech? We shouldn't all be so delicate and dainty, right? She may say she suffered loss of opportunities, but lawyers pointed out that she gave speeches at conventions as late as 2020 and was even on The mass Singer, something Palin has said was good money. Besides, Palin had been on the national scene for nearly a decade when this article came out. I think we all know Palin had not much of a reputation left to be damaged. It's just about money for her. Nothing else matters. So for that, and for saying you lost sleep over a New York Times article, you are a massive pussy. Excuse me for interrupting. Do you realize this is a party line? Put on your waders. We're about to dive deep into the swamp, the creatures that live in it, and their salacious shenanigans for this week's party line. We're having party line trouble. The Ohio gubernatorial race is turning into an all-out catfight. Three candidates are challenging incumbent Governor Mike DeWine for the Republican nomination. One of those candidates is Jim Renacci. On Friday, his campaign announced the endorsement of Mike Lindell. Within hours, rumors were spreading that this was a lie. Someone shared a screenshot of their conversation with Mike Lindell, where he said he never gave an endorsement, going as far to call it fake news. Renacy's opponent, Joe Blystone, quickly pointed this out on his Facebook page, saying, How many more lies do people have to hear before everyone realizes who he is? For those done with the lies, there's still room on the Blystone bus. By that evening, Mike Lindell was asked about his endorsement during a Facebook Live Q&A, and he said the following. No, the Jim, the Jim Renisha endorsement in Ohio, I did not endorse him. Uh, uh, so Jan, or John Garrison, that is not true. There was a big misconstruction. What they did there, I'm speaking in Ohio. He is going to that event. People are doing this to me now. I, another one down in Texas. I'm doing another event down there, and there's another guy that they're thinking I'm endorsing. There was there was a there was a lot of mis um, I guess misconstrued. People were misconstrued. There was a lot of confusion. Somebody put it out there, um, and um, so that is not true with uh, Jim Renashi or Naki Nashi endorsement. That is not true. The Renese campaign clapped back with a press release. The statement came from Renese's running mate, film producer Joe Knopp. It said the following. I have known Mike Lindell for years and value his friendship and his conservative stance. Over the last couple of days, I have known Mike Lindell for years and value his friendship and his conservative stance. Over the last several days, Mike and I have discussed his support for the campaign. This campaign would never post anything that was not accurate or true. With the support of patriots like Mike, Jim, and I are moving forward to defeating Mike DeWine in May. I have attached a screenshot from my text communication from Mike giving us his endorsement. Renacy's campaign advisor, Brad Parscale, hit back even harder on Facebook, saying, 
Well, I thought Mike Lindell was an honorable man. I was wrong. Giving your word to someone and then calling them a liar is the worst, especially a friend. Mike, sad to see what you have become. Proof Mike Lindell gave his friend Joe Knopp and his running mate an endorsement. This is what disgusts me, just pure self-interest. This isn't MAGA, this is self-preservation. Just makes me fight harder and see the real fakes. However, the text exchange in the screenshot mentions a phone call. Who knows what was said on that or what Mike might have thought he was responding to in the text. Besides, what campaign gets an endorsement that only went through the running mate and not the candidate for governor himself? Also, a text message isn't very official for an endorsement. Typically, they come with a statement on why they endorse them. The very next morning, Mike Lindell went on Steve Bannon's show and doubled down on the fact that he never endorsed Renacy. Did you endorse in Ohio this morning? That, that was yesterday. They came out this morning, said I endorsed someone in Ohio. And uh, and yesterday, there was confusion, Steve. I was going to an event I'm coming up that's coming up. I'm speaking in Ohio. Uh, I believe it's a week or so down the road. And they kind of got out in front of it. I know the, the guy running me, and we talked. There was some confusion. And then uh, there was a, the public. It went out that I was endorsing. The public came back to me and said, he, he believes that uh, that Biden won legitimately. Now I, and I so I said, you know what? I need to meet with them. I need to find out these things for myself. And it's a lesson learned. I just want to sit down with anybody I endorse. And they better, they better. The first question I ask him, do you, uh, do you believe Donald Trump won or that Biden uh, won the election? If they say yes, then uh, they're out. <clears throat> Yikes. And the Renacy campaign had been virtue signaling online recently about election integrity. Not a good way to secure that vote by taking down an icon of the movement. Even worse, rumor has it that Renacy has been calling Lindell a nut job behind his back. Renacy apparently said this to Ron Hood, who, just as of a month ago, decided to run for governor as well. Bungling an endorsement makes you reconsider how Jim Renacy might govern Ohio. It would probably be disorganized at best. While they try to prove that Mike Lindell gave them an endorsement, Mike Lindell comes out and has twice now rebuked that. Why would you still seek after his endorsement when he so vocally said he didn't give it? And if you still want it, why would you have your campaign advisor, Brad Parscale, call him a liar and unhonorable? I wonder who Lindell will actually endorse now. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced his retirement recently, and some thought that this was a prime time to snag a promotion for themselves. Judge Kentaji Brown-Jackson was immediately considered a frontrunner. Within days, Jackson's Wikipedia page was edited to make her look more favorable. Meanwhile, the Wikipedia pages of potential competitors for the SCOTUS nomination were altered to make them look worse. More than 20 edits were made by the same username and all of them trace back to Jackson's former law clerk, Matteo Gotti.